Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. In 2021, we have some incredible guests coming up, and I am so excited to bring forward more Indian stereotype breakers, great thinkers, and people who are making a difference. And of course, we will be sharing our own personal experiences, thoughts, and observations of cross-cultural life, marriage, and all about living in India. I wanted to invite you to participate with us in new ways in 2021 through considering becoming a Patreon supporter. Patreon is a community where you, listeners, subscribers, or consumers of our content, can support artists and creators that you appreciate and gain from. We have three tiers set up, starting as low as $3 a month. If you've gained from this free podcast we put out twice a month, please consider jumping onto Patreon and becoming a part of the community, where you can be more closely connected with us and get your personal questions answered, share your thoughts, and even have a chance to have a shout out on the show. And of course, the higher the tiers get, the more benefits that you get. So go ahead and check it out. Thanks for considering supporting us. The more support we have, the more we can put into making this podcast even better. So go on to patreon.com slash invisible India. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash invisible India. And you can see how you can be closer connected with us in the upcoming year. All right, let's get on with the show. Hello and namaste everyone. This is Jessica with the Invisible India podcast. Today I have with me the Carolina Desis, Rashmili and Gurdej. I am really glad to have them on. I've been following them for a while. They have a podcast called the Carolina Desi where they talk about the challenges, nuances, um, st- stereotype breaking uh, American diaspora Desis on their podcast and uh, where they also share things about their personal lives of what it means to be Indian American, what it means to have grown up in the United States, but also be connected with Indian culture. So welcome you guys. Jessica, thank you so, so much for one, reaching out to us and for having us on here. Um, Like you mentioned, you've been following us. We've been following you for a while too. And all of your content is very eye-opening and I'm really looking forward to putting out our conversation out as well. Yeah, thanks. I just want to get right into one of the main things we wanted to talk about with you. You've talked on your podcast a lot about identity, about... um, fitting in about how how do you deal with the fact that you're American, but yet you also have these roots to Desi culture, to Indian culture. And one of the main things that kind of, I guess, is um, involved in that uh, besides food and clothing and um, other things is the language, not the language, the languages the many languages that um, are, are, are within, you know, within uh, the subcontinental cultures that exist. 
Uh, you both come from different cultural backgrounds. And so I want to get into a little bit about both of your processes of being born and raised in the United States and um, where, how you connect with, I don't even want to say like the, you know, it's not your mother tongue, right? But it, 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 it's like the languages of your ancestors. Um, how do you connect with that individually and how was your learning process? My family's from, uh, originally from Punjab. Um, internally in our family, we don't, I mean, there's, there's no pressure to know or speak Hindi. It's all Punjabi. Um, one of the challenges of being um, a very fluent English speaker and then trying to learn Punjabi is that Punjabi is a tonal language. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a linguist by any means, but um, when you when you think about um, Americans trying to learn um, some Chinese languages, it is very very difficult to produce some of the tones, uh, you know, and, and for certain words that might be spelled the same. But if you say it differently with a certain tone, it will have a different meaning. So like, I'll be frank, I'm not as fluent in Punjabi as I want to be. Um, I uh, still have a challenge with tonal speaking. I still have a challenge with, um, you know, getting my point across. Uh, and, and a lot of that is also because, you know, we're, I'm in the American South. Um, I'm not in one of the kind of typical Punjabi strongholds in the U.S., uh, a New York or a California or a Michigan or a Seattle or even in Atlanta, uh, which Atlanta is more like a world city now and everything else outside of it is like the South. Um, and I'm also not in Canada where you have many Sikh and Punjabi speaking uh, people um, representing for our people within government and, you know, celebrities and all that. So there's just, uh, there's a real challenge with finding that, um, community even though it's a smaller community and um you know it's it's really easy to kind of get lost uh in that sense um yeah, one of the things you mentioned like when jessica was talking to us before was uh you know trying to learn it, it was when i went to india when i was younger it was way easier for me to find um resources to learn english rather than resources to learn punjabi in punjab because you have to remember the demand is way higher for those kind of uh, resources in, in those areas. So um, there's a lot better now because there's a lot more like Sikh and Punjabi scholars, um, I guess in my generation and like Gen X and stuff uh, that are coming into their own and publishing more papers and doing more resources like that. But back 15, 20 years ago, it was a lot harder to find those kind of resources online. Yeah, so I was actually born in India. I was born in Hyderabad. Um, which was formerly in Andhra Pradesh, but now there are two states. So. <laughs> uh, but my heritage and uh, my ethnicity is Telugu. So that's the language that I speak. And like Gertaj, I'm not as fluent as I would like to be. You know, I, I can't read or write in Telugu, but I can hold conversations. I can get find my way around. Um, if I were to go to India right the second um, and visit my family, I'd be able to understand people. Um, and when I was in school in India, so I was born there and I went to school up until I was eight years old and I moved to America permanently at that time. Um, and while I was in school there, the school that I attended was an English medium school. So they required all of us to speak English. They actually um, penalized us if we did not speak in English when it came to class or homework, et cetera. 
Um, they did offer other languages as your secondary language to learn. And it was Hindi, it was Telugu, those were the primary ones, considering I was in Hyderabad and Hindi is the national language. Um, in hindsight, I probably should have taken Hin or Telugu as the primary language for myself, considering I did not know how to write and read in that language. I just, I just knew it because I was born into that type of family. But instead I took Hindi. Um, don't ask me anything about it because I don't remember much from that, uh, from those classes. And once I moved here and grew up in South Carolina, there is a big enough Telugu population, I'd say, but um, not a lot of them were people my age, but the people who were my age were North Indian. So to be honest, I am still working through this identity crisis within an identity crisis. A lot of my friends were North Indian, so I was exposed to North Indian music, Bollywood, all of that. Um, and I'm, I, this is a recent decision too, but I'm slowly trying to humbly reclaim a little bit of where my background is, where my family comes from. The easiest way to do that is watch a lot of Telugu movies, but um, slowly but surely, I'll get back into it. Yes. And I saw on your Instagram, I believe that you're also a dancer. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I did the Indian traditional classical dance called Bharatanatyam. Um, it originated in Tamil Nadu, but um, you'll see a lot of South Asian people uh, dancing Bharatanatyam or Kathak. Those are the most popular dance forms. So while I was in India, though, I learned Kuchipudi, which is the, the state dance of Telangana, Andhra Pradesh. But when I moved here, I couldn't find, or let me, let me say that again, my parents couldn't find a Kuchipudi instructor uh, for me to uh, continue. And they put me in birth Nayam, albeit I was pretty reluctant at that age, I'm sure eight or nine, I didn't want to do any of that. But um, also in hindsight, I am really glad my parents stuck me through it. And it wasn't until high school when I really found this passion for it. Um, I did my Arangitram right before going to college. And that was like the summer between um, after graduating from high school and right before college. And that was, that was the thing that found the reborn and newfound energy for it. So I went to college and I started a dance team with my roommate at that time. Uh. Um, it's not true classical, but it had a lot of classical elements because that we both were trained in it. Um, so then we just had fun and continued uh, with dance as a big part of our um, of our friendship as well as uh, our adulthood. And not like you need my validation in it, but I I think that that's really incredible. <laughs> um, so if you guys could tell me a little bit about growing up, do you feel pressured to speak? Uh, Punjabi and Telugu, or did you feel encouraged? What was the, uh, I mean, being as respectful as possible to your families, um, what were the feelings that you had from your community and from your family? Uh, good days, you can start. Yeah, so thinking back on that when I was younger, um, I just remember feeling bad personally, because I could not communicate with my extended family back home or back in India, back in Punjab. I remember feeling shame and disappointment that I didn't learn Punjabi well enough 
to have conversations with my grandparents before with some of my grandparents before they passed away. And I even have distinct memories of them trying to speak to me the best they could. And I just didn't understand them. So like, it wasn't for lack of trying, but it was just a lack of, it was just timing. It was just, it, and, um, you know, I was a kid, so I try not to like, you know, uh, beat myself up too much about that. Cause you know, you're a kid. What else, what better do you know? Um, so I, obviously, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd put it as pressure, but there was definitely an expectation. Like if you are a, a kid from a Punjabi family or you're, you know, you're a kid from a family like mine, you should speak Punjabi. Um, you know, nowadays I don't think that there's as much, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, a negative outlook. Uh, at least they don't, they don't say it to me or to my face because I, <laughs> I am who I am. Um, but especially as a kid, there was, yeah, yeah, there were, there were, there were those forces at play of just like trying to push me towards, um, understanding the language better. I don't, I don't know why I didn't pick it up as fast as, um, well, actually I do know why it's because I chose to do things that were more Americanized. Um, my sister would spend summers in India and I would choose to go off to like bank camp or something because, you know, I was more interested in playing music at the time or, or something else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, I could see very clearly how that kind of diverged, but um, it's it's mixed feelings. Yeah, yeah. I think I can hear what you're saying, and the um, the combination of just the internal frustration of not being able to speak, but then maybe also picking that up from people around you who are kind of like supposed to be your support system and helping you learn. <laughs> so it's, it's it's a sticky it's a sticky thing i hear you i hear you yeah 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 i would actually have to say um a little bit of a similar experience as gritej um while i was growing up in columbia south carolina my parents tried to um enroll me uh, in a community delugu schooling it was one of their friends who was um just really good at literature, like Telugu literature, and he was able to teach all of the kids Telugu. Um, but unfortunately, I resented any of my parents' attempts at um, trying to instill some culture in me, because like Ritej, I chose to do things that were more Americanized, because I wanted to fit in, I wanted to do this or that, that um, was not anything Indian. So I thoroughly regret not um, spending more time with that or not having the interest. But you know, as a kid who is in a, in a new country or uh, trying to find their way in a, in a new life, it's understandable. But yeah, right now I can say I thoroughly regret that. Um, and then after some point, it's just too late to learn it, I'd say. Um, at least for me, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but for for me, my priorities have changed as I've grown. And um, right now my priority is just hold on to what I do know and get better at what I do know. So I can continue having those conversations. So while I did go to India during the summers, um, I still wasn't as fluent during that time. I wasn't engaging with my family. Uh, I regret that too. So the last few times I've been to India, I've um, made a conscious effort to spend more time with them, understand them, learn the language and um, have the important conversations because I'm not gonna get another chance in the future.
you hear so often from especially American born Desis, not as much Canadians, I think. I think Canadians have it a little easier because I don't know if it's just because there's so many Indians in Canada or because there's just a, a better culture of um, not having to assimilate, I wonder. Um, but you hear this over and over again from Americans where there is this pressure to fit in. Um, and I wonder if it's, if it's the toxicity of our, uh, you know, kind of like, I would even call it like white supremacist, um, you know, undertones of our society, or if, if, if it's something else, like, I'm just thinking that, you know, the American Desis like can't be squarely blamed for not learning their own language. Like, I, there has to be something else there. And, and you see this over and over. So I just, I just wonder what do you guys think about all of that? So I just wanted to point out, uh, I can actually speak a little bit on that American Canadian divide. If you're curious, um, uh, I'm saying this cause I'm in Surrey, British Columbia right now, uh, visiting family. Um, and Surrey is like little Punjab. Um, there's, it's insane how much, and it's, it's, I feel like Canada has less of a tradition of a melting pot as much as it has a tradition of multiculturalism. And the whole idea of multiculturalism is more like, you know, we, we respect your culture. You can retain your culture less so than trying to assimilate the culture. So for example, you could go to towns that, you know, are majority, um, Punjabi speaking without, with, with, I mean, I'm sure that there's still some pressure because English is the lingua franca and, um, you know, business and, and government stuff is done in English. But uh, I think there's less pressure as there would be in America to assimilate or to be American or to be, you know, quote unquote Canadian. Uh, there's like uncles and aunties and, you know, uh, senior citizens here who, still don't speak English that well. And they're, they're cool because they have their friends and they have their lives and they can go their entire rest of their lives without needing to speak English around here because there's so many uh, Punjabi speaking people. Um, you know, Punjabi is like, I think behind English and French is like, it, if not the top spoken uh, language, it's one of the top. So I, I, think, I think there's a distinct uh difference between how canada approaches multiculturalism and how america approaches the the idea of the melting pot right um and i think that affects things and also just because if you are indian living in canada you are likely living in one of the major population centers the the greater toronto area or british columbia and then there's some in calgary and winnipeg and, and other major cities um, where people tend to flock uh, for opportunities for employment um, the U.S. is so much more kind of spread out. Um, so that's that's my little spiel on the Canada-American divide. Uh, can you... The melting pot actually really means, you know, everyone needs to whitewash themselves at least a little bit in order to fit in. And then, but white Americans don't really, we don't really want to adopt like your culture. You know, we just yeah. want you to become more like us. And that's what we really mean by the melting pot. In, in theory, 
in theory, it sounds lovely. In theory, this idea of a little bit of everything, bring it to the bottom. And listen, there are places in America that are like that. Queen, I say this, Queens, New York is probably the most diverse place on earth, um, period. Uh, and that's one of the most beautiful things about it. But um, in practice, in the rest of the country, uh, you do see kind of a majority, a majority pressure on the minorities to conform. Um, and that's something that, I mean, like Rashid and I've talked about that in many episodes, those, those running themes of that conformity. Yeah. Um, so kind of going back to saying that I was raised in Columbia, South Carolina, not a huge Indian population. Um, there's actually a lot of Telugu people in Texas. And if I were around more South Asians, not just Telugu people, if I was around more South Asians, if I lived in New York, New Jersey, or somewhere, or even in Texas for that matter, I probably, it probably would have instilled an interest in continuing learning about my heritage way sooner. Um, it felt very superficial when I was younger because yes, I was dancing. Yes, I did music for a little bit. Um, yes, I go watch a Delgo movie with my family here and there, but um, it really did feel superficial. It felt I was forced into it, either my, my parents' expectations or this um, inherent obligation to stay true to my culture or whatever it was, a little bit of both, I'd say. Um, but if, if I was around people who looked like me a little bit more, I probably would be more interested in um, uh, learning more about my culture. And from what I'm hearing from both your stories and from other people I've talked to, it's not, it's not just an automatic thing that, uh, because you know, your, your parents uh, or grandparents migrated from somewhere else that they're automatically just gonna be able to retain that. It really takes a resistance. And I, I, I think we forget that it's like, um, that, oh, well, it should just be automatic. It's not, it is actually a resistance that has to take place. And how much are you gonna resist? Um, even I feel this and I'm, I'm a white person. I mean, as far as even my kids and helping them to um, learn and, and, and encourage them, like I see the pressure on them. I see the, 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 the resistance that they have to practice as, elementary school from preschoolers. Um, and so I try to like create that barrier for them and allow them that space so they don't have to push so hard. But man, <laughs> I mean, just the, the, the resistance that you have to practice to be able to retain even the smallest things is, is actually epically huge. So um, I, I just want to acknowledge that for both of your stories and uh, again, not like you need validation from me, but I'm, I, I just feel like even what you do know and what you have retained is valuable. And, um, uh, and I see the struggle that you both had to go through, even just to, to learn what you have learned and to retain what you have retained. Do you feel that you need to speak Punjabi, speak Telugu, uh, speak Hindi, whatever uh, regional language? it is to be truly connected to Indian culture or is that a misconception? So I'm, my goal is not even to be connected to like all of Indian culture, because I think the understanding is that India is more so a, a quilt or a patchwork of um, various regional cultures rather than a unified country. 
Um, and you always see that in, and without getting political, you always see that in Indian politics with, um, you know, Hindu nationalism versus uh, uh, Muslim minorities or even Sikh minorities. Um, the thing about, and, and to go back to your point about like rebellion, yeah, like I'm from a Sikh family, Punjabi Sikh family. We are the minority everywhere. We're even the minority in India. So my existence is one of rebellion. Um, and so uh, that, you know, that resonates. But this idea of being truly Punjabi, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, d- I definitely feel like there is a strong undercurrent of of thought that is like, you know, if you're going to call yourself Punjabi, you know, and you don't live in Punjab and you don't uh, at least speak the language. Um, Because uh, again, and this is part of being like a minority everywhere is, uh, uh, you know, you you have to strongly, strongly guard these things that kind of differentiate you as that minority. Um, That being said, there's, there's many people who are like sick that don't live in Punjab, that live outside, live in Delhi, live in South India, um, I have like my whole mom's side of the family speaks mostly Hindi rather than Punjabi. Um, and I don't think they question their Indianness at all. Uh, so I, I mean, I think it's a really personal thing, but there is, there's more diehards when it comes to Punjabi. And then there's, um, some people that are so surrounded by Punjabi on a daily basis that they don't think it's that big of a deal, um, to, for them not to, to, you know, I, I, long story short, I think me, not being surrounded by that many Punjabis meant I had to more fiercely guard it uh, and be like the represent- uh, representative locally for my people kind of. Um, but if you're surrounded by, you know, mad Punjabi speakers, like it doesn't, it, it might not affect you as much to, to have to rep that, you know, as part of your identity. The fiercely guarding. <laughs> well said. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think it's one way to stay close to your culture and um, I'm not going to generalize. I have gotten in trouble for generalizing before, but I know for me personally, um, I choose my language as a way to connect to my family because it's the quickest way to learn about my history. And while it might open up doors about Telugu literature or Telugu um, history, whatever it is, or or Telugu specific religious practices, even though it's Hindu, um, there's still ways that Telugu people practice certain events and festivals. While it may open up the doors to that, the reason I do it is so that I can communicate with my family in India, um, because that's where most of my family is. I have my parents and my immediate family here and then literally everyone else is across the across the world um and sure i have the privilege of having whatsapp of having all these social media to connect with my cousins who have never had a chance to connect with before and we do speak in english via text whatever it is um but it has it's really so that I can just uh, stay connected to a lineage that I can directly point back to. There's so much I can't point back to right now. I've lost a lot of that moving to America, but whatever I can, I'm also fiercely guarding it like Ritej has mentioned. I just wanted to point out, it's like one thing that Rishmali and I have noticed is that it's even a privilege to even have a physical like location to point back to. Um, like 
you know, a lot of my African-American friends cannot say the same because that heritage was stolen and ripped from their ancestors and completely wiped from history. And then they were given uh, the names of their slave masters. So how, how do you even go back to that? I, it's even a privilege for us to even point back and be like, hey, there's a, there's a physical location we can visit and be like, oh, hey, historical sites, language, all that. There's a whole, whole minority population don't even have that privilege. So like we struggle, you know, I'm not, I'm not downplaying anyone's struggle, but like we have, that's the silver lining is that we have something. Now we just have to go get it. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for drawing that parallel. And I think that um, it has to be a little, there has to be some dissonance too, when you go back to that place and then, as you mentioned, you know, sometimes you're treated like the foreigner, um, where it's not like, oh, they're here, you know, they're, you're a part of our community. And like, there's some of that, but you also shared that there is also that um, sense of feeling like the other. And, and that has to be really hard to be like, where do I belong here? You know, because, uh, you know, I'm treated like the other in America and I'm treated like the other in India. So I, 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 this is part of, you know, what I wanted to kind of hear from you guys was part of this struggle and, and part of this identity, I don't want to say crisis, but, you know, identity struggle um, you're going through. This is a question for you here. Being that I am a white person and who has learned an Indian language, why is it that second generation Indians are shamed when you speak an Indian language with an accent, but people like myself who are non-Indians, you could literally go and be like, namaste Andi, and, and, or, you know, say, you know, chai pingi, or whatever it could be, and be like praised for days. Um, what do you think is behind that? Then this comparison, I have been used many times as a tool of shame for second generation folks saying, look at her, she learned Hindi, she learned this, why can't you? <laughs> yep. What do you think is, is behind this, um, this uh, comparison and, 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 how, and has this happened to you? And like, yep. what do you think is behind all that? Um, a long story short, I think it's because people can be shallow and people base their expectations around you as a person by how you look. Um, I have brown skin there. I have melanated skin. So people would expect, uh, that, you know, um, people would not be surprised if I were bilingual, they may even expect it from me. Um, not the same for you, you know, you're white, right. And, uh, like an expectation for a white woman anywhere in the world is that maybe not anywhere in the world specifically america is that you know you're you speak english and that's totally fine if that's all you speak so you're already um exceeding expectations when you try any other language we are already failing expectations when we do not speak a second language fluently and uh it's because of shallowness yeah absolutely have to agree it's expectations, um, superficial expectations, like Ritesh. So the first thing you look at me and you expect me to um, speak multiple languages, but then you hear me speak, I don't have an accent. And then they're like, oh, okay, if you don't speak it, then it's fine. And I say this because I've gotten a little bit of everything depending on the situation that I'm in. 
so at work around other South Asians, other Indian people, other Telugu people too. Um, they hear me speak for the first time. I don't speak with an Indian accent. They're, and then they're surprised to hear that I also speak a second language. Um, that's them not even knowing that I was born in India, right? Like put that aside. You wouldn't expect me to be born in India sounding like this. And then on the other hand, I go to India and I'm speaking to my family. Yes, while I mentioned that um, I'm learning so that I can continue speaking with them, there's been multiple visits where it's a balancing act of doing my best to speak the language so that I can get my point across and then I can understand them. But the moment I choose to use Tanglish, a little bit of Telugu and English, I'm automatically American. Like I can't be two things at the same time. It's like, oh, it's because you took her to a whole different country as soon as she was born practically like in second grade um, that, you know, that's frustrating too. It's like, I just had an entire conversation with you in Delugu. And the moment I like miss a word or miss a sentence um, and I can get, get to it quicker in English, uh, kind of, they're like, oh, I knew it. You know, we expected you to speak Delugu. Oh, I knew it. She, she's so uncultured kind of thing. Surprise. Surprise. Yeah. They're like, I expected this from you. So um, you got to be careful <laughs> wherever you are. What I'm hearing yeah. both it, the bar is different. Yeah, it's different. Bar is what different. I'm hearing both of you say is that the expectations are unrealistic on all sides. That so whose whose unrealistic expectations are you going to try to meet, or do you just say screw it, don't care, I'm just doing me, like whatever? Um, and it's somehow easier to kind of veer towards that American side because there are. You know, there are, um, it's just kind of this easiest slide to make, right? Of there's less resistance required. Like, all right, well, I'm just going to do me because I like this and I like that. And my friends are all into this and all of that. So I'm just going to slide into that. And um, do you, how much of that struggle do you want to take on? Because you're going to face it. You're going to face criticism at every corner. So whose criticism do you want to hear? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think people realize outside of America just how much America dominates. We, our media exports are one of the key ways that we continue to dominate the world. Our music, our language, we like this English is still the language of, of business. And it's not because the English empire is still as mighty as it once was. It's because the American empire is as mighty as it is. Uh, to to a large extent, um, and yeah. so when we talk about like, it, I mean, yeah, I'm in America, so it's easier to slide into to English speaking stuff. But if I were like in Germany, <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to get into foreign media, it's way easier to find English speaking stuff than it, or or you know stuff that I talk about with my friends than than um, uh, Indian media or something like that. So uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I take a lot of, I used to take a lot of criticism from my extended family very, very personally. Um, and it's still something I deal with as, the, as, you know, something I'm working through. Now that I'm, you know, 28, uh, I'm really just coming into my own as a, you know, I am who I am. If, if this is me at almost 30, then, you know, I am who I am. Like, this is not a formative period of my life anymore where 
uh, I'm so impressionable that these things will affect the out, you know, my outcomes. Um, so at this point, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry, dude, like, sorry, I can't, can't be what you expect me to be. Um, but it's way different when you're a teenager, uh, because there is that understanding that, that you are still being molded by your environment. Um, this idea of nature and nurture and you are clay and uh, a lot of people see you as clay to be molded. And you've just laid down some truth bombs there. Is there anything else that you guys want to add to this conversation before we wrap it up about your experiences, about you know anything you feel like you wasn't said or wasn't mentioned? Um, well, first of all, you had amazing questions and we did sure, know, cover these themes in some of our previous episodes. Um, to this day, one of my favorite episodes that we've done is Code Switch on these exact topics and this cathartic exploration, at least on my side, of all those things that we've dealt with in our teenage formative years and the resolution I've given myself as also someone who's close to 30 and um, that it's okay. Give yourself some grace. And that is one thing that I've learned a big thing that I learned in American culture, give yourself some grace and be okay with who you are. And that'll give you more room to learn what you actually want to learn and find value in. There's a writer. I'm sorry if I, uh, if I don't remember the name, but uh, he basically was saying, you know, instead of um, trying to be Indian or American, you're the hyphen in between. Um, and that's an idea we've, we've uh, talked about before. I'm the hyphen in between. You know, there's a lot of people that will relate to me and there's a lot of people that will not relate to me. My experience is my own. And at this point, I'm, um, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that's relatable, but there's just a lot of stuff that's not. I'm, I'm unique in a lot of different ways and I just have to accept that. And uh, it, can, it can be also isolating at times um, because you try to, try to reach out to people with that shared background or whatever and they just have different experiences than you do. So... Uh, I'm not saying it's like a, a lonely experience, but it can be at times. Um, but then there's also a huge celebration in, in kind of like American artistry or art circles to just, you know, the, the idea of being yourself. When people tell you to be yourself, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily, it's not licensed to be boring. <laughs> like they, they, they want you to be different, you know, It'd be different, it's okay it's okay. Like, so what? So what if I, you know, speak Punjabi with an American accent? So what if um, I live in a country that uh, doesn't, the, it doesn't always respect my ethnic background? I'm still American. And I'm still Punjabi. I, so what? You know? I'm really grateful for this conversation. I'm really grateful for both of you. There's so much more we could talk about. Uh, but I would just suggest that listeners listen to the Carolina Desi podcast. There have been several mentions of particular episodes. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Uh, you can find our podcast here on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, all the places. This is also here on YouTube. Kara, um, where can we find Carolina Desi? Yeah, you can find the Carolina Desi on all major streaming platforms, Spotify, 
podcast apps that I might have not mentioned. It's, we're probably on there just because of the RSS feed. But on Instagram, we're the most active. Um, our handle is at the Carolina Desi. Great. Well, I just am really grateful for both of you. Thank you for being on and sharing your story with us. It's been a really valuable time. Thank you. And I know people are going to get a lot out of what you shared. And again, thanks for your vulnerability with us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. The music for the Invisible India podcast is performed by Christopher Halen Sitar and Ed Henley on Tabla on Rag Bhimkalasi. One last thing before I go. I'm pretty careful about the things that I recommend for people as far as products and services, but this one is one that I wanted to share. Language Curry is a free app for learning Indian languages, but they have a live course that's going to be starting on February 17th. So that's like in a couple of days <laughs> for those who are listening uh, right as this is being released. So go ahead, check out Language Curry that has availability for Hindi, Gujarati, Punjabi, Sanskrit, Tamil, and a couple of other languages. So don't miss it. Go check out Language Curry and you can use the code INVISIBLEINDIA to get a 10% discount on this section, this new um, series of live courses starting 17th of February. Stay tuned as well because we're going to have more recommendations coming up of products that are going to help bring you closer to Indian culture. Thanks.